This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Uh, our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. We have been on the air for about five years, probably, I don't know, 260-plus interviews. Uh, and we support those people that are helping us stay online. Uh, and we are looking for more support. We are not a nonprofit, but if anybody would like to help support us to stay on the air, uh, we now have a button that you can push at our website, spiritmatterstalk.com, to allow for that. So thank you. And uh, our guest today, uh, Justine Tom, she is co-founder of the syndicated radio program, New Dimensions, which is broadcast on more than 300 national public radio stations nationwide. Very, very impressive. She is co-author with Michael Toms of True Work, Doing What You Love and Loving What You're Doing. She lives in Northern California, and we uh, very much appreciate her taking the time to come on the show with us today. Welcome, Justine. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And may I just mention one other thing? Um, I am also the author of Small Pleasures, Finding Grace in a Chaotic World, and that's my, my own book. Good. I was going to ask you. Thank you. We'll have that posted up on our uh, website and uh, uh, on our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, Justine, um, I'm I've been aware of uh, the work you and your late husband, Michael, have, you know, been doing since the early 70s. Um, I've been honored to be on your program. I would love if you filled in our listeners on your own spiritual background and uh, what brought you and Michael to uh, start New Dimensions and all the subsequent work you've done. Oh, what a great beginning. I, I just would love to talk about that and share with your listeners uh, a little bit of my journey. I think, Phil, that I've always had a spiritual enthusiasm, even as a little girl. And I grew up in uh, the Episcopal Church, and I loved to go to church. And even when my parents wouldn't get up on a Sunday morning, when I lived in the cold winter uh, outside of Chicago, I would traipse to our neighbors, and I would get a ride with them and go to church. And then in my 20s, in my early 20s, I was living, I moved uh, from there to the south, to Alabama, and I um, then got married, had a baby, uh, went to college, went to Auburn University, teaching, uh, learned to teach school, and uh, at that time, I became a Southern Baptist And I think the reason that I went to that church is I loved the music. It was, everybody was so enthusiastic in the choir. And I just, that appealed to me a lot. And so for about seven or eight years, I was part of the Southern Baptist faith. And then I moved from there, my marriage dissolved. I moved from there to California. And when I got to California, I became, and this is shocking to many, many people in in my research and my spiritual wanderings, I became a Jehovah's Witness. Huh. <laughs> and people people usually laugh at that, but I just I 
I loved the way that they approach Bible study. And it's very, it's much more intellectual than the Baptists. And um, I, and I, so I knocked on doors for three years. I was one of those persons that just say, oh, here comes Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a moment uh, I met Michael Toms. And I, my my good friend and I were having, we were going into San Francisco, a neighbor and myself, and we were going to San Francisco. She was not a Jehovah's Witness, and they really looked down their nose that I was associating with anybody outside of their faith, um, but I was a rebel at heart, and I went into um, the city with her, but we stopped off at a friend's house, uh, Michael Tom's, and he said that he was going to cook dinner for us before we went into the city, and my friend Kay watched Michael and I fall in love over that dinner. It was amazing. It was, I was like thunderstruck. I, I just couldn't believe that he was a man that actually listened to me. We had so much in common. And, and so it wasn't long before Michael and I became a couple. And that's when he threw me into the deep end of the spiritual <laughs> pool, so to speak. And we started going, this is 1972, and we started going to Buddhist retreats with uh, Tarthang Tolku Rinpoche. And I, you know, meditation, what is that? And so I remember saying to um, Rinpoche when we had a, every, we would be there for the whole weekend and we would have these private audience with him at the end of the retreat. And I said to him, in all sincerity, and I think that that's, that's the key to my spiritual quest, is, is my sincerity about and curiosity about why are we here and what is our purpose and what is spirit and what is what is it all about the the invisible world is there is there support for us and I asked him I said Rinpoche I don't know what meditation is all about I I I'm just good to try and stay awake for 45 minutes <laughs> and and he reached out and he took my hands and he transferred what you would some people would call it shaktipat some i don't know what you call it but he transferred the nature of mind and for a split second for just a moment everything disappeared and i understood what that oneness was that that everyone was talking about and then of course phil it disappeared because my mind came right back, roaring back in and saying, oh, what was that? And blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like monkey mind. Boom, 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 boom. And so the rest of my um, spiritual journey has been to continue to walk up that mountain because I, I, I don't think people can just transfer that nature of mind or who uh, our spiritual beingness to us except ourselves and we need to open ourselves up to that quest and, and and it wasn't long after that that you and michael started new dimensions is that correct well exactly we were going to all of these 
you know, at that time, Phil, it's all right. Now it's 1973. We're, we're married. We're, we're uh, going to all these retreats and workshops and gatherings and conferences. And, and the San Francisco Bay Area at that time was a candy store of consciousness. Yeah. And so I remember going to one, uh, I think it was KPFA, the station, the public station in Berkeley, uh, sponsored uh, Ralph Metzner and Charlie Tart and other people. And it was just an amazing moment. And Charlie Tart, Charles Tart, who um, I, I think his adventures in consciousness and might be i can't remember the names of his books but he's he's a Walter states of dr charles tart and people can look him up on the internet anyway he they can he also said, he made a way. comment he said you know there's he, he used maybe the words there's a, a proliferation of of consciousness going on that people's consciousness is changing rapidly and no one is reporting on it. And mm. the next day, Sunday morning, Michael and I were sitting at the breakfast table. And a good friend of ours was with us. And Michael was talking about this. And our friend Jim Hill said, well, why don't you do something about it? And, you know, Phil, it's like getting the right question at the right time. There's a kind of ripeness about it. If we pay attention to what's around us and what questions are coming and what opportunities are coming towards us and are available to us. And so uh, Michael said, yes, let's do that. Let's start a nonprofit educational organization. And what shall we call it? And right there that morning, we named it New Dimensions. And it was amazing. Uh, and the <clears throat> next day, he went to a lawyer. He They wrote up papers to incorporate. And thus, here was New Dimensions. But Chase, now, what, what are we going to do with it? <laughs> but let, let me ask you, Justine. Um, uh, I remember that time well. I started teaching... Uh, TM back in 72, Phil probably before me. So, uh, and I was on the East Coast, but the landscape was similar. In looking at the, the, uh, the mission statement or the purpose of New Dimensions, it was to disseminate conversations that expand the possibilities, both personal and cultural towards a world that works for everyone. And, and uh, obviously when I taught meditation, um, obviously or not, I mean, it was, I had the same goals in mind and for, when I look at what's taking place now, it is some ways it's more difficult for me to uh, be optimistic than it was then. Uh, I felt we were on the verge of a real spiritual awakening back then. And, and maybe we are, maybe we're in the midst of it. But what I see, especially now in terms of a world that works for everyone, um, a lot of work needs to be done. And I'm not sure whether we're moving forward or backward or we're stagnant right now. And I, I just wanted your thoughts on that. And and by the way, this interview is being done in October uh, 2020. Uh, no, some people September, January. It's September still. Okay. <laughs> it's hard it's to keep up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Dennis. Um, and congratulations on your path as you've stayed with it and continue on. You know, yesterday, I, I, I must say, here we are, 
it is September. Uh, our, our wonderful tree has fallen, we would say, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg has just uh, passed on. Mm -hmm. And I must say, it, it really threw me. That one really, really, really threw me. And I, I could feel myself wanting to spiral down into a depression. And then I've been researching and preparing for this interview that I'm about to do later this week with Hirsch Wilson, um, who is the son of Larry Wilson, you might know, who was a, a great um, um, developer of personal excellence. And uh, Hirsch has written a book. He's a volunteer fireman in New Mexico. And he wrote a book called Firefighters Zen. Uh, it's just perfect for us right now because, you know, of all the fires that have been taking place um, in, for the last three years, especially here in Northern California and also Southern California and even recently. And it um, so it's a perfect book for me to to and perfect work for me to talk about. And in the middle of the book, he tells a story. I did not know this, that in World War Two in in Britain, there was they made a poster because they wanted to support people. They thought that the the um, Hitler was about ready to invade England and and the British Isles, and they were very very concerned with that. So they made this poster, which was actually never used, but it's recently kind of resurfaced, and the poster says, "Keep." calm and carry on and right. it just those simple simple words and it was just what i needed in that moment like okay justine just calm down calm down carry on do the best you can you don't know how it's all going to turn out and as michael has said whatever you give your fullness to will take you where you need to go. And so remembering those words and remembering the work that I do is like, um, you know, to, to not isolate myself, to not just kind of close myself up and put the covers up over my head, but to keep circulating and keep rubbing shoulders with life and allowing life and spirit to come in and guide and show me the way and the path up, up this mountain. And I don't know the outcome. I, I don't know how it will turn out. And it's just like um, Vaclav Havel has said, uh, who was a former president of Czechoslovakia. Uh, he said, hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. And that that quote helps me to know whatever I give my fullness to is is going to be what is required for me, what what spirit requires for me to show up and do my best. Very good. Thank you, Justine. Um, I just want to let our listeners know, since you uh, mentioned Charlie Tart earlier, uh, Charlie was one of our first guests on spirit matters so uh you can go you can go into our archive as well as no doubt 
New Dimensions archive. Yes. And, and find uh, lots of Charlie Tard, who I, I've been in touch with recently, actually, and uh, he's still swinging away. Um, Justine, um, <clears throat> the uh, humble beginning of New Dimension developed very quickly into a very popular program that has over more than 40 years now. Uh, is it, yeah, more than 40, yeah, yeah, 47 so, uh, years, my yeah. goodness, <laughs> has, you know, you, you have uh, featured interviews, first uh, with Michael doing them and after he passed you doing them for all these years. Uh, tell, you told us about the beginnings of your spiritual journey. Um, what have you learned from doing all those interviews and getting the opportunity to speak to all these brilliant and wise people? Um, what would you say were the chief things you learned from them? Oh my, what a, what a huge, uh, subject that would be. I, I, I can't tell you how, how much I've learned from every single one. And I guess what I've learned mostly is to stay curious, hmm. to, to continue. Uh, I, it's just who I am. I, I, I'm not putting down anybody who finds a particular path and it really works for them and they they go really, really deeply into it. And I think that my path, if I say what it is, my path is curiosity and being a lifelong learner. Mm. That is my path. And and so I learn from everyone that I come in touch with. Um, I just... I'm so appreciative of, I mean, like I just, I'm jumping up and down in my seat with this, let's say new book that I have firefighters in, you know, that's the newest one. Or when I'm with you, Phil, and, and learning about your work and, and recently having a conversation with you and just, I'm just like blown away by all the things that I'm learning and, and opening up to, uh, and it just makes me more and more excited. I guess that what I need, I need that constant vitamin, so to speak, uh, take your vitamins daily. <laughs> uh, I need that that input daily to, 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 to rub shoulders with life, to get out in those corridors and to allow life to continue to inspire me and teach me and move me toward a positive outcome. Uh, so I, I think that's what I've learned is that it, it's it's not just one thing that I can point to, but it's it's all of it together. And when I'm in touch with all of these people like yourself and Dennis, I haven't actually met you, but I'm sure it's true for you. As you go on your path, it encourages me to stay on my path and to keep myself open and not to to get depressed and close down and say, okay, it's all over. You know, right. it reminds me, one thing that I learned, this is um, an experiment that they did. I believe it could have been in North Carolina, but they did an experiment about being optimistic. Mm. And uh, as optimism can be this antidote to worry. And in being optimistic, they, they did this experiment that they had people who uh, were in a very positive frame of mind and then other people that were not in such a positive frame of mind. And they had them sit in front of a computer 
and they were showing all sorts of things on the computer. And then afterwards, they were asking the people, what did you see? What, what Report on what you saw on the computer. And those people who were optimistic and more uh, positive in their attitude had a broader peripheral vision. They could see more. They reported more. And those mm. people who were less positive, they had this kind of tunnel vision and they, they didn't see the edges or see the opportunities. And I always remembered that piece of research because I, I think that's what it's about. It's like keeping our vision open. And I guess that that's what I've learned, <clears throat> opening up our vision to to all the possibilities and all the cues that we get from from the universe or from the mystery or from source or whatever you want to call it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I've I've I think that is what I've been learning all this time. And it's not just one thing, but it's a combination of putting myself in a position of being with others who are also on that lifelong learning path. And I just find it terribly exciting. That's great. Thanks. Dennis, let me just say, uh, before you ask your question, I just want to uh, say that you will, listeners, uh, if you, uh, in addition to our archive, if you go to Justine's archive on New Dimension, you'll find that curiosity and openness reflected in the interviews. And it's it's rather contagious. Go ahead, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking uh, when you were saying that experiment, th there's a song from, I think, the musical uh, South Pacific where uh, a wide-eyed optimist. Cockeyed. Oh, cockeyed. Cockeyed oh. optimist. Ooh, love oh, it. Cockeyed. Okay. I, I thought of that. A wide-eyed. But when you think of somebody that's optimistic, their, their eyes are wide open. Yeah. When you think of somebody that's pessimistic, it tends to, to narrow. I wanted to ask you this. Uh, I've also done a lot of interviews, as says Phil, and I had a radio show before this. And um, you mentioned that uh, in the uh, in the, your website, New Dimensions Radio conducts and disseminates conversations that expand the possibilities of people, uh, you know, wisdom leaders. Who are some of the interviews, maybe one or two, that really jump out at you? Uh, you know, it's hard to say which was the best, but yeah. some that really uh, had a big influence on you. Uh, when you did the interviews. Now, and you can't say me. And you can't say us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, I would have gone right there. Thank you. Um, well, of course, I, I, I'm going back to the, the foundations of New Dimensions. And I, I must uh, mention two, three, maybe three people I'll, I'll mention. Uh, one is our Buckminster Fuller, Bucky oh, Fuller. Yes. Yep. And we've wow. done hours with him. We've uh, we've had the opportunity to sit with him for many, many, many hours and sit through many of his weekends and week-long workshops. And uh, he he really infused new dimensions. Um, and I remember, may I tell this story about Bucky? I love this. Uh, with Bucky, you know, if, if you've ever been around him, you know that he will not even speak until he has set the stage of his whole philosophy of civilization and where we where we came from and how we got to here. And sometimes it would take him a whole weekend to set that stage. 
And and so and we did we did many interviews with him. And finally, when we were down, when we got our our whole big station outlets, we were down to one hour. We had started as a four hour live every Saturday night, but now we're down to one hour. And so, Bucky, it was right after. Um, is his last book, Parable of the Tribes? Am I remembering that correct? I'm not sure if I remember that correctly. But so we're sitting with Bucky. It's his last book. And we're down to one hour. And Michael is asking him, of course, to begin. And, of course, he has to go through the whole civilization uh, track of where we where we were and where we are now. And so and he after 40 minutes then Michael started asking him some other questions. And afterwards, I remember it so vividly, Michael and Bucky stood up and Bucky put his hand on Michael's shoulder and he said, Michael, I got it down to 40 minutes just for you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and it, it was just, we just were so moved by that and him and, and having him on and, and being able to help put the context of where we are. Another person, of course, would be Joseph Campbell. I and we knew had, you were going to say Yeah, that. you know that. Uh, and we had hours and hours with Joseph Campbell. And he, of course, is a popularizer of mythology, that myths are not just fairy tales, but they're the underlying um, premise by which we are all holding uh our lives and and it's kind of invisible so it's very important that we know the myth we're living and I, I remember asking him that we asked him towards the end he would come on and it would be the four-hour program and I remember uh, Michael asking him okay well what is the new myth that we're living and he said well it's hard to predict and now this is like in the mid-70s at this time he said it's hard to predict the new myth he said, but I think it's going to have something to do with the rise of the feminine. Mm. And I just, I love that. And as I watch, like, just looking at Congress, look at how many people uh, in 2018, how many women were voted into um, the House of Representatives. Uh, just that, that is just a little indication. And, and also, we, we've just been following it for a long time. And we just see all that now there are women directors of movies and television all it's just happening so i'm i'm very excited about that so those two people come off the top of my head and maybe a third one might be and he came a little bit later but still in the 70s we started interviewing dr andrew weil uh. and in fact he co-hosted with michael a whole series um what did we call it roots roots of healing i think we called it and um he uh, he really is the person who brought alternative medicine uh, into the lexicon and looking at holistic medicine, which is now like even Kaiser, a huge. I belong to Kaiser as uh, um, my HMO, and and they are very, they acknowledge that there are, there's this other way that we can, we look at the whole body and the whole, and it's not just medications, but we can look at it in a fullness, uh, health and healing in a greater fullness. And so Andy Weil 
was with us when he first was just traipsing the jungles of the Yucatan looking for shamans when we first mm. met him. And now he's a household word and household name. I would add, uh, I'm also a member of uh, Kaiser, and uh, I I get their mailings, and they tell me I should meditate. And I, or, I always joke that in my case, they're 52 years too late, but, uh, but it's great. You know, this is how mainstream all this has become. Um, I would also say, uh, add uh, to what Justine said, the reason I knew you were going to say Joseph Campbell is because you uh, published a book with, uh, about Joseph with your Michael's interviews with Joseph Campbell called An Open Life. Joseph Campbell in conversation with Michael Tom. So I want to recommend that to our listeners. Um, Justine, of all the interviews you've done, was there any moment, any person say or do something that shocked you, that really surprised you? Pleasantly or unpleasantly? Uh, Yeah, there was. All right. What just, I mean, I'm just kind of going with what my gut just said, okay, this, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not being intellectual about this, but I do remember one particular interview, and this was back in the old KQED days, the four hour program. And uh, we had Elizabeth Clare Prophet mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. and uh, she is, she was in touch with the, I don't know what it was called, the, the, Anyway, the invisible world, we'll call it, that she, the mysterious invisible world. And I remember vividly that she, um, we asked her to do an invocation, I think she called it. And she had all of these rings on her fingers and she, she pulled off all of her rings and she piled them up in a little pile in front of her. And these were all had precious stones. And she did this very, very powerful invocation. And then afterwards, now we're in KQED, it's Saturday night, the whole place was closed down. We had keys to the place and it was all closed down. And I walked her uh, out back out to her car and we went down these very empty hallways um, and finally out the front door. And as we're walking towards her car, she turned around to me and she said, Justine, you know that you are are in touch, and Saint Germain, which is one of the ascended masters, so to speak, she said Saint Germain is really um, there for you, and uh, you can ask him for anything you want, and it will come to pass. And I knew Dennis and Phil. I yeah. knew at that moment, whatever I asked for would manifest whatever it was and it's like that moment be careful what you wish for so i said well you know we really want to build our own studio and so that's what i would like and she said it's done and you know of course i had no idea how this was going to take place i it was just it was like a dream but that was all it was we had no money for it we we had no plans for it nothing within 2 weeks the first nails went into our own building our own studio that studio that bucky fuller was in and many others krishna murty was in. In fact, Christian Murdy had such a good time he came back a second time. Uh-huh. So uh, it it um so that that was shocking to me and it was a moment of revelation. Great. Uh, 
Phil, uh, I'm going to, uh, I have another appointment, so I'm going to jump and I'm going to let you, Phil's going to continue. And I want to thank you so much uh, for your time with us today. And Phil will continue it. And uh, uh, I look forward to reading your book and uh, more about that as well uh, in the remainder of the interview. Thank you so much, Dennis. It's so nice meeting you. See you later, Dennis. All right. We only have a few minutes, uh, Justine. Um, I, I want to ask you uh, uh, a sort of uh, question to stretch your imagination. If you could interview anybody whom, who've never been on New Dimensions, living or dead, who we're not able to get, who would that person or those people be? Oh my, oh, what a, what a big question. Um, what for, you know, the, the name that came up for me just popped into my head was Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, uh, here, you know, it, Eleanor was kind of like me in some ways. I was always Michael's leg, so to speak. Hmm. And she of course was her husband's, uh, legs and she was a feminist way out there, way ahead of the curve. And but but only in recent years has she been acknowledged for what she was doing. And I always felt um, that, you know, Michael was the front man, so to speak, and people knew him and knew his voice. And even though he would always encourage me to do more interviews, even when he was alive, he'd, he'd look to me and he'd say, look, Justine, this is your interview. When we first did an interview with uh, Gloria Steinem, he said, Justine, you have to do this interview. I can't do it. Mm. It's yours. And he would encourage me. But still, most people, when they thought of New Dimensions, they think of Michael. And and it, that was kind of true of Eleanor. And yet she was so instrumental to the whole process. She was a team with her husband, mm -hmm. Franklin, uh, and, and President Roosevelt, uh, they were a team. And I would love to have been able to interview Eleanor Roosevelt. Wow. That I that surprises me, but it's a brilliant um, thought. And well, I, I want to ask you what the same <laughs> question. Come on, Phil. Okay. Who would you interview? Because now you do all these interviews. Well, I'll Who? be honest. First, I want to say that what you said about being... Uh, sort of the, the, the woman behind the scenes, you know, and, and the, it sounds like a cliche. But when in all my research with about all the gurus and yoga masters and swamis who have come here and become famous and reached all these people that I've written about, one of the hidden stories is, is the, the, the women who made it all happen. Um, going way back to, you know, Vivekananda in the 1890s, Yogananda, whose biography I read, there were always women opening doors, signing checks, getting their husbands to do things, arranging things, running things. Um, it, it's rather, you know, an extraordinary story that should be told. And you mentioned earlier the rise of the feminine, and now women are out front. The contemporary spiritual scene is much more... Uh, female-oriented than it ever was in the past when uh, it was all um, only men out, who were visible. So uh, thanks for mentioning that. Who would I do? That's a really good question. I wish I had thought of it. Um, I'll tell you. No, but since I'm on, yeah. since I raised the question, 
of all, you know, because I've researched the lives of all these spiritual teachers. I was going to say Yogananda because I wrote a biography of him. But in truth, I would go back further and I would uh, want to interview uh, Swami Vivekananda, who came here in the 1890s. And, you know, we have records of things he said and did. Um, but I would love to sit him down for a conversation about some of the choices he met and some of the nuances of Vedanta philosophy and, and that sort of thing. Oh, that that would, would be, be a real trip. You know, um, Michael and I attended the uh, 100th anniversary of the um, World Parliament of Religions, where mm -hmm. he first appeared. Yes. And uh, so we were there. In fact, we broadcasted live from there worldwide by shortwave at that huh. point. Um, that would have been 1993. 1993. And later, when I was in Chicago and we were driving down Michigan Avenue, <laughs> I looked up and there was a sign on Michigan Avenue. There were like three yeah. or four blocks. It's called Vivekananda Way. That's right. Swami and Vivekananda I, Way. You know why it's yes. there. Tell me. Because you were right outside the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Chicago Art Institute. The Art Institute of Chicago, one of the world's great museums, was the site of the uh, where Vivekananda spoke at the parliament in 1893. It, it later became the museum, and the um, room in which he spoke has been preserved, and it's kind of been a bit of a pilgrimage site there. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's why. wonderful. That's wonderful. What a what a enlightened soul, and he really. If you look at people pivotal in Western culture. He really brought the whole Eastern thought into the West, and it was so accepted at that time. It's taken a while for it to catch on, but at first, uh, people were just amazed and yeah. very open to his uh, philosophy. Yes, there were, although we should say, because you know, I covered all this. He, he, like the others who followed him, like Yogananda and the teachers in the '60s, who were, you know, all over the Bay Area and other places that you're familiar with. They also, also uh, faced a lot of backlash. Be that as it may, um, I want to um, also ask you. Oh, and if I, frankly, if I had another person I'd want to interview, it would be Joseph Campbell. I had, I had to write about him a lot, and I would love, if, boy, if it would be great if he were, you know, we could just have him on the show. <laughs> but yeah, he could, right. He um, was, he, he was a, a master. You would ask him about anything, and yeah. he had in his brain like a whole file cabinets of worldwide myths, and yeah. you could bring up any subject, and he would pull out a myth that would correlate with that subject. I mean, you'd say pigs, and he'd say, oh. Okay, the South Pacific has a, and he would go on. It was he was amazing. Yeah, um, Justine, one last uh, note before we uh, hang up. Um, I'm looking at your uh, beautifully uh, designed book, the cover of Small Pleasures, subtitled "Finding Grace in a Chaotic World." And um, I looked at the copyright page, and this was published in 2008, so 12 years ago. And here we are, and um, you were even more prescient than I was with my new book, because I wrote it last year when the world was crazy. You wrote yours in 2008, 
when the world was less chaotic than it is now, but I want to recommend the book as uh, a source of finding grace in the world right now, which uh, we sorely need. So if you want to say a word about the book before we close. Oh, thank you for that opportunity. Um, this is a, a book of, of essays that are about everyday life and what we face every day. It's just my musings of what I've learned and what I've noticed. And it, it covers like different subjects like um, uh being active without driving yourself crazy, you know, <laughs> that would yeah. be one. Animals as our teachers. Uh, uh, it, it just covers a whole gamut of things about celebrations and circles. And and I think I think what I want to say, if, if I had it, and I am working on a, a new book, but uh, what I would say right now, uh, I'm always looking for, Phil, that definition of God, so to speak. I know that a lot of people don't use that that word, and mm. I rarely use it myself, but I'm using it a little more these days. And what my current uh, definition of God, and I, it's gone through many iterations, just like Bucky Fuller was always um, talking about God as a verb and, 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 and an action rather than uh, something that's uh, one one putting in one box and I my current definition of God right now uh, and this comes from something that I learned when I saw a quote in a book I think by Mark Gober Um, it was from the physicist Nobel Prize winning physicist Max Planck and in 1931 he wrote I regard consciousness is fundamental and he said, I regard matter, that is, that, that which we touch and feel, matter as derivative from consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything we talk about, everything we regard as existing postulates consciousness. And that just blew me away that here this physicist is saying consciousness is the basis of all life, of all the universe. And so my current... Um, definition of God is God is the quantum field of infinite intelligence and love and a divine and dynamic force of energy in which all life, including us, is embedded. And this force exists both within everything and it enlivens everything and it's from which everything is made and man manifests. So that's my current definition of God, this infinite, this infinite field of intelligence and love that we can tap into at any moment and trust that. So, uh, you know, I, someone once said on New Dimensions, um, it's not a matter of, you know, is the universe friendly or not? What he understood is, the universe is responsive. Mm. And I love that. So we need to, to ask, you know, to have a conversation with the universe, with God, with this infinite intelligence of love. Let's continue that conversation. Okay. This sounds like a great 
way to close, a great moment to close the interview. Thank you so much, Justine. For our listeners, uh, please go support New Dimensions Radio, just as we ask you to support Spirit Matters. We need all the uh, input from wise people we can get in these day and age. Justine, thank you so much for being with us, um, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, and the same to you, Phil. You do such marvelous work. Everyone should should support this program. It's so worthy of your support and needs your support. So I totally encourage people to support all of this work in Spirit Matters. Thank you. Thanks, Justine. Be well. You too. Bye.